We're starting a new sermon series I am so pumped for. This series is called A Sacrifice of Praise. And we're talking about worship. It says this in Hebrews 13, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So in the Old Testament times, people used to bring God sacrifices that consisted of animals or produce. And God says in the New Testament system, I no longer desire the sacrifice of animals. I want your bodies to be living sacrifices. And so we do that and we express our praise to God through a lot of ways, like through serving, through loving one another, through giving, but also through music and singing and clapping and raising our hands and shouting and dancing. This is how God chooses to be worshiped. And he designed us to do it this way. We openly profess his name. That's a sacrifice of praise. So I'm gonna talk today about some of the basics of how we do worship. This message is called The Basics of Worship. I'm talking to our church family, all right? If you come to church the week after Easter, you either just got saved last week or you're part of the core of the church, right? Because all the casual Christians are like, well, that'll do it for the month. We'll be back in about another month, right? But you're here because you're the core. So I'm talking to the church family and I'm gonna assume that you love Jesus, you know, I just spent the last couple of weeks, we were focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ and how the son of God, the best man who ever lived, died in your place so that your sins could be forgiven. And then he raised from the dead so that you could have eternal life to give you victory. So if you don't already love him, well, I'm just gonna assume you do and not try to convince you that you should in this sermon, but I hope you do love him. If you don't, then you should start loving him right now because there's nothing better than loving Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to get into the more deep spiritual and theological dynamics of worshiping God, but today I'm talking about the basics of worship, the actual mechanics of what we do and why we do it. Because a lot of you have gone to church maybe for a long time, but you always, you know, just kind of wonder, well, why do we do all this singing and what's all really going on around me? And I want you to understand what we're doing. When you see people singing and clapping and raising their hands and shouting, uh, and maybe you've even done some of those things, but I want you to realize that those actions are not just cultural, they're biblical. And that's the best reason to do anything because it's biblical. I asked on Instagram this week, I mean, I would assume you saw because I'm your pastor, so why wouldn't you follow your pastor? That would be weird. Um, I asked, why don't people participate in worship like this? And one of the top reasons was I came from a reserved background and we were taught not to show emotion or participate that way. Or maybe you were taught it was weird. So I want you to understand this today, that reserved worship is a learned cultural behavior, not a biblical behavior. If you just read the Bible, you would not get the impression that worship is supposed to be reserved and quiet and somber. That's a cultural behavior that you learned. The Bible not only gives us permission to sing and clap and raise our hands and shout for joy, it actually commands us to do these things. So worshiping this way is an act of obedience to God's word. And so I wanna encourage you right up front in this series that I'm going to challenge you in love 
to become even more expressive in your worship. And understand my heart. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging what's in your heart, whether or not you really love God based on what you do, because only God knows what's in our hearts. Amen? Amen? I'm not just trying to get you to go through the motions. God cares about what is in your heart. And he says in Isaiah 29, he talks about these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So God doesn't want you just to go through the worship motions if your heart is far from him. But then he also creates this tension. And he says in Luke chapter 6, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So on one hand, he doesn't want me just to go through the motions if I don't really mean it. But on the other hand, if I really do love him in my heart, I'm not going to be able to help but see that overflow in my life. If you love the Lord in your heart, it will manifest in your life how you talk, how you treat people, and how you worship. What is worship? Worship is expressing love to God. We're expressing love to God. And as a human being, you were designed to do this. Now, generally, women have an easier time expressing themselves. Amen, ladies? You tend to be better at expressing yourself with words. And guys, you tend to be better at expressing yourself with actions. You'll be like, I showed you I loved you when I went to work to put food on the table. Right? But women are like, I want you to tell me you love me. Right? Well, fortunately, worship involves words and actions. Okay, show of hands, all guys, where are my men at? Where are the men at today? Okay, if you're not sure, that's a subject for another sermon. (laughs) All right, men, did God design you? Did God make you a man? Okay, did God design you to worship? Okay, then think about this. I want you to follow along with this. The more you do what you were designed to do, the more you are what you were made to be. Therefore, for a man, worshiping God is the manliest thing you can do. And for a woman, worshiping God is the most beautiful thing you can do because it's what you were designed for. And I'm not telling you in this sermon series what you have to do. As a Christian, in fact, there's really nothing you have to do. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by works so that none of us can boast. So none of us can get up and be like, I raise my hands more than you. I'm more saved than you. (laughs) But it's a good thing that God doesn't make us do these things. Because if you had to give, if you were forced to serve, if you were required to worship like this, then how would you express your love to God? But because God doesn't make you, he allows you to choose to, and therefore you can express your love to him these ways. It's so amazing that we get to do this. So what I'm teaching you today, it's not based on my background. It's not based on a denominational culture. It's based on church history and scripture. It's not what Pastor Ryan wants you to do. It's what the Bible says you should do. Let me just ask, do you care more about the denominational culture you grew up in or what the Bible says? And in this series, I'm encouraging you to become even more expressive. But let me give you this disclaimer, okay? I grew up as a church kid. I've seen my fair share of judgy Christians and manipulative leaders. 
And so as uh, someone who experienced that, I became incredibly sensitive to anything that felt like pressure. Anybody relate to this? I became very defensive about being manipulated. So basically what it looked like is I'd be in church and if a leader said like, come on, worship, I'd be like, well, no, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I was gonna, but you told me to, so I'm, now I'm not. <laughs> you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so what happened is my defensiveness turned into rebelliousness. And it was no longer about bad leaders. It was now about my bad attitude. And I started to miss out on the good things of God because I wouldn't listen to the voice of God being spoken into my life through the leaders that God had appointed in my life to encourage me and lift me up. And that's what I'm here today is not to pressure you. I'm not, I'm not here to pressure you. I'm here to encourage you and challenge you so you can grow. If you want a church that will love you where you're at and challenge you to grow at the same time, this is that church. So the Bible not only gives us permission to sing and clap and raise our hands and shout for joy, it actually commands us to do these things. And there are people that will say, well, that's all good, but I'm worshiping in my heart. And that's good. It's good to worship and love God in your heart. But can I just say, there really aren't biblical examples of people quietly worshiping God silently. All the biblical examples involve expressing love physically and even publicly. Do you realize that God wants you to worship him with your whole being? That's exactly what he designed you to do. In Psalm 35, it says, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. With every bone in my body, I will praise him. See, I love him in my heart. My whole soul is praising him, but because I love him in my heart, I cannot stop my body from praising him. You see that? We wanna praise him passionately and you were designed to do it mind soul body and strength with your whole being it's good to worship him quietly in your heart but it's better to worship him passionately with your whole being you see this and i know that you might think well sometimes i just don't feel like it it's great that you're passionate ryan i mean you're a pastor i would hope you would be passionate <laughs> but i don't feel that way I do love God, but I don't feel that way. Well, can I just tell you that a lot of you won't feel that way until you do it this way. This is a biblical principle that the blessings of God tend to follow our steps of faith. You will not feel like serving other people until you serve other people and experience the impact that it makes in people's lives. You will not feel like giving to God or tithing until you do it and see him bless you firsthand. Oftentimes you won't feel like worshiping until you worship. The feelings follow our actions. God reacts to our step of faith. He performs miracles in response to us taking a step, a move forward. When Moses stretched his hand out over the Red Sea, then God parted the water. When the Israelites stepped into the Jordan water, the Jordan River, they had water up around their feet and ankles. Then God parted the water. God responds to us taking a step of faith. So you might have never felt that much during worship, but maybe it's because you weren't doing that much during worship. So then biblically, how can we express our love to God? 
in worship. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says. The Bible commands us to sing. The Bible commands us to sing. And you might not think of yourself as a singer, but you should think of yourself as a worshiper. Because you were created to worship. And hundreds of times the Bible says we worship God through singing. I'll just give you a couple examples. Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, okay? So God gave you vocal cords and lungs and the ability to sing so that you could use that wind instrument to glorify him in worship. You don't even have to know the lyrics to the songs. Some of you, you know, you're like, I don't really know the lyrics. Well, if you came to church more often, you probably would. (laughs) But you don't even have to know the lyrics. You can just make a melody. Oh, I don't know the words, but I really love Jesus. And so I'm going to make a noise, right? You just sing, sing the melody. And the Bible says it should be a joyful noise. I have to ask, you might be singing, but is it joyful? I know you love him in your heart, but tell your face. It's just weird the way some people worship. Can I be honest? You turn graves into gardens. You turn mourning to dancing. It's like, this doesn't make any sense, (laughs) all right? I'm just being real. I'm challenging your resting mean face. Smile while you sing. In Colossians 3, it says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives and admonish one another. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Okay, so this is written to the New Testament church that singing is supposed to be part of our gathering together. And this word admonish means to urge one another. In other words, your singing encourages one another. So think about what that means. It means when you withhold your worship, you're robbing your neighbor of what God intended to encourage them. See, it's not just about you. Imagine that. Worshiping God is not just about you. It blesses God and it blesses the people around you. So so that's why we want to sing to God. We want to sing this way. In Zephaniah chapter three, it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is. Anytime two or three are gathered together, he's there among us. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. See this, he will quiet you by his love and exult over you with loud singing. Do you know that medically singing is one of the only things that can calm your spirit and lift your spirit at the same time? Can calm your anxiety and give you energy? Do you think God maybe did that on purpose? He doesn't just love you silently in his heart. He told you he loved you in his word so that you would know He sent Jesus to die in your place to prove that he loves you. And he shows you how passionately he loves you by singing over you loudly. Do you get what this is saying? That God loves you so much. He's just in heaven like, oh, I just love her. I love him. I love him so much, right? Like he's just singing 
because he just feels that way about you and he wants us to understand it. The Bible does not say sing only if you have a good voice. There's a reason we have a sound system. It's so you can sing loudly and no one has to hear it. It doesn't say sing only if you know the words or like the song, right? It just says sing because this is how we express our love. Loud singing, right? Some of you, you do sing, but you're like, okay, this is really good. Like you need to pump it up. Sing loud. Psalm 147 says, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. It's physically good for you to sing praise to God. Do you understand the medical benefits of singing? It releases endorphins in your brain that calms you, takes away anxiety and depression. It helps with memory and breathing and your heart strength. There's all these health benefits to singing. And it's fitting. It's fitting. If Jesus just did a, a small favor for you, then maybe a little golf clap would be fitting. But he died for you and he rose again. Come on, he deserves loud singing. Another way we express our love to God in worship is we raise our hands. We do this because it's biblical. God gave you arms that could be raised, not just so that you could use those to work, but so that you could use them to worship. So why do we raise our hands? Think about this. There's a lot of common sense aspects of this, but also biblically. We raise our hands to celebrate. This is just what human beings do. If you're a Christian, you are a winner. You're a winner. You are on the winning team. Aren't you glad to be on the winning team? So why is church the one place where winners don't act like they're victorious? I mean, like you see Tiger Woods celebrating. He wins, you know, a championship and his hands are up and then the whole crowd, their arms are up celebrating victory. Anybody that hits a game-winning jump shot, what happens? Their arms go up. Tom Brady, arms go up when he wins. But Christians don't put their arms up even though they're the most victorious. Look, all these guys in the crowd, their arms are up and they didn't even win anything. They're just excited for Tiger. Like, you go, Tiger. And then I bet you the same guys go to church on Sunday. And like, it's weird to raise your hands. I knew one guy that he would scream and clap and yell at the top of his lungs and even throw himself on the ground and kick his arms and the legs in the air when the Cardinals scored a touchdown. But then he would come to church and just stand there reservedly showing no emotion, even though I knew he loved God. That doesn't add up. We're victorious, and so we celebrate. We raise our hands to testify. Amen? When a witness gives testimony, he raises his hand as a way of signifying what I say is true, and I mean what I say. How many of you are Christians? You raise your hands, right, to say, that's me. I, I am a Christian. When we sing songs, a lot of what we're singing about, right, you get to testify that what you're singing is true. My name is recorded in the book of life, and I am going to heaven. Yep, that's true, right? When you're saying, there's nothing better than you, you're like, yes, I can testify. I've tried a lot of other things, but there is nothing better than Jesus. 
Yes, I believe he is good, right? I testify to how he is good and has worked in my life. You're saying, I actually believe that. In Nehemiah chapter eight, it says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. That was scripture. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. So we're gonna make sure this sermon's a little extra long. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted up their hands and responded, amen and amen. They were responding physically and with their words to testify, so be it. Let it be. This is true. I receive it. I agree with this. That's why it's good to do this when we worship. You can also do this during the sermon. Because the word of God is being spoken to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you could raise your hand. You could say, amen, that's true. I receive that. That's good. I agree with that. And that's biblical. And what's amazing is it's not even distracting when everyone does it. You know, if we were having church 2,000 years ago, you'd have to all be really quiet so the people in the back could hear. But we have a microphone. So you can say amen and respond and say, that's good. Come on, preach that. I'm receiving it because what? It's biblical. Psalm 134 says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Look, we raise our hands to bless the Lord. That's another one of the reasons why we do this. When my little baby girl comes in the room and she lifts up her hands to me and she wants me, I like that. I like whenever she does that. It blesses me. And so you better believe I'm going to pick her up and carry her and give her whatever she wants, whether Amy likes it or not. (laughs) I just can't help it. I love her. Well, if I'm going to respond that way, how much more is God the Father going to respond that way to you when you bless him through your worship? and Just show God, I want you and I love you and you're so good. We raise our hands to signify this, that we surrender and are ready to receive. This is the international sign for I give up. I surrender. And you gotta realize this, right? Before you accepted Jesus, you were an enemy of God. You might have thought you were neutral, but you were actually a rebel. And when you put your faith in Christ, you were changed from being an enemy of God into family of God, but it came by your surrender. You had to say, I give up. I'm gonna stop trying to save myself. I'm gonna stop trying to satisfy myself. I'm gonna stop acting like I know better than God. I'm gonna surrender my life to Jesus Christ and do what he wants me to do. And I'm ready to receive what he wants me to receive. And so sometimes I just do that during worship. Just put my arms up like I'm just ready to receive whatever you have for me, God. Pour out your spirit on me. Sometimes I just gotta surrender. God, I've been working this week to fix my own problems, but I need to let you fix my problems. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, in every place of worship, I want men, 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 to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. God wants us to to show we, we have no more hostility with him. We're not here to fight against his will any longer. We're not fighting against other people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We serve the Lord and we surrender to him. So you don't have to do this, but you can. 
Let me just give you some practical advice, right? This doesn't mean that you have to just hold your arms up in the air the entire time that we're singing. Like your arms would get pretty tired. <laughs> so raise them, lower them, testify, lower them, celebrate, lower them, receive, lower them, <laughs> surrender, lower them. You get to worship and get a great workout at the same time. You're gonna be out in the town and be like, man, that guy has amazing shoulder definition. You go to GC, bro? That guy's jacked. He must worship. <laughs> the Bible says to clap, shout, make loud music, and move in worship. Psalm 150 says, praise him with the tambourine. That's a percussion instrument. With dancing, right? Like, it's just natural to get your dance on. With strings and flutes. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Look, some people will be like, why does the music have to be so loud? I'm like, the Bible says so. <laughs> right? Now, some people grew up in church where they weren't allowed to have instruments in church, and they were even taught that that's like of the devil, to have instruments in the church. And I just want to say, have you read the Bible? Right? The Bible tells us to use trumpets and strings and cymbals and drums so why would we use those things in every other setting except to worship God? God gave you a heartbeat so that you would intrinsically know how to move to rhythm. And if you're white, it might be like, you might clap on the one and the three. Or if you actually have rhythm, you clap on the two and the four. Why would we use instruments and get down to the beat celebrating being on the highway to hell? And not celebrate God turning graves into gardens. Right? So we move to rhythm, right? It's natural to move. It's natural to get your body into it. We're worshiping the Lord with all the bones in our body, as well as what comes out of our mouth. So you could worship God without instruments, but it's biblical and better to use instruments. And now I want to give a disclaimer at this point, like a little word of caution. All right, freedom to worship passionately doesn't justify being disorderly. I want to talk about this so we don't scare the Baptists <laughs> and so the Pentecostals don't get crazy. Some of you might be like, well, what are you, Pastor Ryan? I'm a Bapticostal. <laughs> All right. I love preaching the Bible and I love praying in tongues. I like, I like it all. What can I say? It says in 1 Corinthians 14, but be sure that everything is done properly and in order. This is talking about church gatherings. There's a time and a place for everything. I want my passion to stir up your passion, but I don't want my passion to draw your attention away from God to me. There's a time and an appropriate place for everything. When everyone is singing loud, sing loud. When the pastor's preaching, stop singing. Okay, like move to the beat but stay in your seat. No dancing up and down the aisles. We're not doing that. When the music is loud, shout for joy, woo! 
when the music is really soft, don't shout or it'll scare the children. Like if you can't keep a beat, like don't clap really loud during the slow parts of the song. Win peace like a river. Like that doesn't make any sense. I've seen people do that. I'm talking about because people actually do this stuff. So Generation Church House rules, okay. Um, instruments on the stage only. Don't bring any flags. Use wisdom. You're like, what's he talking about? If you don't know, you don't know. But if you do know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So what's the difference between passionate and distracting? I can't always define it, but I know it when I see it. Like, like once we had this guy who would come to church and he was part of a dance team that would go into schools and do assemblies and he loved the Lord and he was super nice, but he would come and he would stand right in the front row and he would literally come up out of the front of his seat, right in front of the stage. And then you start pop locking and dropping it. <laughs> And I'm like watching him from where I'm worshiping and the whole room, like the whole front half of the room is just looking at him. Like, man, that guy's got some sweet moves. And other, other people are like, what's going on? Right, so I, I sent a staff member over to him and he's like, hey bro, we love you. We love how passionate you are, but everyone's watching you. So maybe just like tone it down a little bit. And he had a great attitude. He was like, okay, you got it. Now some of you are like, oh, thank God. And others of you might think, well, who are you to tell him to be less passionate? I'm the lead pastor, and that's exactly my job, to protect the rest of the church from things getting too crazy. But I would rather have an occasional moment of correction than a church that shows no passion. Because I, I need you to understand this. Your worship is a witness and some of you have never thought about this. 1 Corinthians 14 says, but if all prophesy, in that word there, it means to proclaim, to proclaim. Do you think we're all proclaiming when we sing? If all proclaim and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted or convinced by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So the passion with which you worship can convince an unbeliever that God is among you and real. In every service, we have lost people among us. And so what I need is I need a church filled with people whose worship is so passionate that it convinces lost people that Jesus is alive and he lives in us. Amen? So think about this. Like, What does your worship communicate? Does your worship communicate that you're victorious or that you're defeated? It doesn't make a lot of sense to sing about being victorious, but then act like we're defeated and depressed. It's not all just about looks, of course, but usually a church that looks dead is dead. And a church that looks alive usually is alive. And can I just be real? What we need to have happen in our church, because I'm talking to our church family in the core right now, is we need a whole church filled with people all worshiping God. Not just in the front rows, but in the whole room. Because what happens sometimes is that as you get further back in the room, it's easy to turn into a spectator who just watches other people worship on stage. And there's nothing sadder to me, if I'm being honest, than a stage with passionate performers in a room of passionless spectators. I can just tell you, just wanna be honest, that I only 
let people lead you in worship who genuinely love the Lord passionately in their hearts. And I can just say as a pastor, you can tell the difference. You can feel the difference that what they're doing and what they're singing overflows out of a genuine heart. And you might be like, well, I don't really know what to do during worship. Well, just do what they do. There's a reason they're called worship leaders. Just move like they move, right? Like sing and worship like they sing. You'll be in great shape if you do what they do. (laughs) And then I want you to think about this, that there are always new Christians in our church sitting all around you. And oftentimes they're, you know, they're behind you and they're learning how to worship from you as they look past you. And I want these new Christians to learn how to worship properly from you. Remember what I said? It's not just about you. Are they learning how to worship passionately? People who love the Lord and what looks, I can't preach a sermon about worship every single week. I need you to help me teach them what passionate worship looks like. Amen? Some of you are like, this is so weird. I wish he would go back to his safe space. <laughs> and, and so when I, when I ask people, why don't you worship more passionately? The number one response is I would be worried what people think about me. So think about this, right? What will, what will happen is you'll be in a church service and you won't worship because you're worried about what your neighbor might think about you. And because you don't worship, she thinks that it's weird to worship and she's worried what you're gonna think about her and so she doesn't worship. And then you get this whole church culture of people being quiet and reserved and timid because they're worried about what other people will think about them. So I'm just here to encourage you today. Stop worrying what other people think. Stop worrying what other people think about you. Think about how silly this is that We're at church, we're choosing to come together in spite of all the other things that we could be doing, but we're worried what other people would think about us for worshiping the God that we all came together to worship. How ironic and silly is that? Like, I don't want them to think I'm weird. And there's, I don't want them to think I'm weird. And so we create this negative cycle of peer pressure. And here's the thing, it is hard to escape peer pressure. So we might as well create an uplifting, positive peer pressure and an atmosphere that makes it normal to worship God and express that. I think our whole church should worship this way, not just because the Bible tells us to, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's the natural thing to do. It's actually what God wired you to do. So I I wanna show you this video of baby Lila, my little daughter, worshiping. So here's what I wanted you to see. You were made to worship. Why was I sitting in the bathtub? It doesn't matter. (laughs) I think Amy was getting ready and I was just trying to contain the baby. And next thing I knew, I was sitting in the bathtub with her and trying to keep her entertained. But I'm like, it's crazy to me how this little baby just naturally worships God. Like we didn't teach her to do that. We can't teach her to do anything at this point. It just comes out of her. 
And you are hardwired to respond this way to God in worship, not just watch other people worship, but God put it in your DNA to worship like this, but then something happened. Somewhere along the way, you went to a church that told you, no, that's not good, don't do that. Or someone said, well, men don't show emotion. Or some other girl made fun of you and it made you self-conscious. And ever since then, you've been worrying about what other people think about you instead of doing the thing that God created you to do. Worship him. Reserved, quiet, stuffy worship is actually unnatural. It's obvious that God made some things to be a certain way. He made food to taste good. He made sex to feel good. He made worship to be passionate. If you're not experiencing it that way, you're doing it wrong. We're supposed to worship passionately, singing loudly, clapping, raising our hands, shouting, because God designed us to do it this way. And here's what happens. God designed it this way, and so what Satan did is he counterfeited God's ways. He takes the worship methods that God designed and he misdirects them to other things. Because the devil knows that God hardwired your soul to worship and that you will not be satisfied until you worship, whether you're saved or not. And so the devil, he lifts up all kinds of false idols to misdirect your worship away from God. And he doesn't care whether you worship celebrities or athletes or rock stars or politicians as long as you're not worshiping God. And so every week in America, there are Christian churches that know Jesus is alive who are getting out-worshipped by little girls at a Billie Eilish concert or drunk sports fans. And I just gotta be real. Some of you are more passionate about a sports team than Jesus. And Jesus is the one that wins every time. Some of you celebrate a touchdown more than your salvation. Some of you get more passionate about a politician who's gonna serve for four years than your king who is gonna reign for eternity. I'm just challenging you today and keeping it real. I know some of you might be thinking, well, I, I want to worship like that in my heart. But the thing is, if I'm being honest, it would make me feel like a hypocrite. And that was another one of the most common responses to why more people don't participate. They say, it would make me feel like a hypocrite. And I know exactly what you're saying, because I've been there. You know, you think about the things you've done wrong, the fact that you've sinned, and it makes you feel unqualified to worship God. It's not perfect people that worship God this way. It's passionate people. Let me ask you this. Like, would you feel it's easier to worship God if you were perfect? You, you might. But can I just tell you that in God's eyes, you are. In God's eyes, you are perfect. Even though you still sin on an ongoing basis, the blood that Jesus shed has already washed you white as snow. And God has robed you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when he looks at you, he sees the perfection of Jesus in you, shining through you. So you are qualified to worship through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, it says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And if you don't believe in him yet today, I'm inviting you right now to believe in Jesus, to trust in him so you will never have to experience shame again. And if you are a Christian, I'm reminding you that God has already removed shame from you. He's taken your sins away as far as the east is from the west. Your neighbor might remember the things that you've done wrong, but God has already forgotten. So you have every reason to worship him. And the more you sin, the more reason you have to worship because the more you've been forgiven of. 
Some of you might think, well, if I would sin less, it would make me feel like worshiping more, but it's actually the opposite. If you would worship more, you would feel like sinning less. Wherever you're at today with worship, I want you to understand, I'm not calling you out of your comfort zone. I'm encouraging you to get a new comfort zone. I want your new comfort zone to be a place where worshiping God feels like the right thing to do and worshiping God without passion is weird and uncomfortable to you. A new comfort zone. I'm not telling you that you have to do this, but what I'm here today to do is remind you that you want to do this. Do you realize that God would not love you any more than he already does if you worshiped him with all the passion in the world and he wouldn't love you any less if you never worshiped him? But doesn't knowing that make you wanna worship him? You think about how good he is? I'm just reminding you how you want to worship him and how you were wired to worship him. So let's stand to our feet at this point. I'm gonna ask you to join me and in a minute we're gonna take time to respond to this message and worship some more. But before we do that, let me just ask you to do this. Just raise your hands for a moment and just close your eyes. And just right now in this moment, focus on Jesus. Think about Jesus Christ, the best man who's ever lived dying on the cross in your place because he loved you. Think about how awesome it would have felt seeing Jesus rise again from the grave on Sunday morning, alive again to give you victory. Think about the day that you accepted him into your heart and that he changed your life and made you a child of God. Think about what it's gonna be like when he returns to earth again and he vanquishes evil for all eternity. Think about what it's gonna be like when you see Jesus face to face and you're looking into his eyes and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, and he welcomes you into heaven. How exciting that's gonna be. Now just open your eyes, put your arms down. I just wanna point a few things out. None of you spontaneously combusted for being hypocrites, all right? Men, none of you turned into women. Isn't that amazing? Nobody was judging you. Nobody was laughing at you. Nobody was thinking about you. Our focus was on Jesus. And that's what worship is. It's our focus on Jesus expressing our love to God, our Father in heaven. It pleases him and the Holy Spirit responds when we worship him in spirit and in truth. And so that's what we do as a church. That's what we're gonna do today. God, we love you so much and we lift you up and we give you glory in Jesus' name, amen.